As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at killerqueenspodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Queens Podcast. And we're on YouTube at Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge, and let's talk about some true crime. Okay, you guys, really quick before we get started, we want you to take a listen to this promo uh, for another show that we are absolutely loving. It is called Ghost Town, and after you hear the promo, you're going to want to run out and subscribe. They are hilarious, so take a listen. Are you into the secret histories of exorcisms, Christmas massacres, kill dozers, and concert disasters? How about haunted mansions, the Philadelphia Experiment, the Dorm of Death, or candy corn? Then you're going to love Ghost Town, a hilarious and sometimes not so hilarious twice-weekly podcast. On Wednesdays, we discuss the secret history of an abandoned, unexplored, haunted, or mysterious place from anywhere in the world. And on Fridays, we cover an amazing historical failure from any time in history. Ghost Town is 100% safe and legal. We guarantee it. It's It's also fun, spooky, and can contain a riot, a massacre, a murder, or an arch deluxe. I'm Rebecca Lieb. I'm Jason Horton. And, and this, this is Ghost, Ghost Town. Town. And you can find Ghost Town wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back, y'all. Hey, y'all. To part three of the Bardstown trilogy. And this, it's so crazy that we are doing three parts of it, and this is literally kind of an overview. Isn't that crazy? Yes. There could easily be 942 yeah. parts. It's, yeah, it's, it's craziness. But if you're new to the show, you haven't listened to one and two, scooch on back. If you have listened to one and two, then let's get this party started. Yeah. On a Saturday night. I was going to say that. I know. I was I like, should I? Yeah. Okay. I shouldn't have. <laughs> And of course, if you want extra episodes, check out the Patreon. We've got Doc Jams, our episode by episode coverage of documentary series. We've done, just finished up the jinx. By the time this drops, we will be into our next series, but ourselves now, we don't know what that is, but ourselves then, we will have known, hopefully, because we'll be doing it. Yeah. Um, we've also done Don't Fuck with Cats. Mm hmm. Who killed little Gregory? 
So there's there are reasons to go. There's stuff. And then yeah. we have our murder mixtape every week, which is and just I mean, it's a bonus episode. Plus, we have our other show, Oh Snapped, episode by episode coverage of the gift that keeps on giving snapped. Yes. Exactly. So, and that's just available anywhere. Yes. You know that you listen to podcasts. Right. You cannot get it at Walmart, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. You can get everything at Walmart. That's true. Um, so yeah, so check that stuff out if you need extra episodes. Otherwise, let's shall. Mm-hmm. So where we left off was the investigation into Crystal Rogers' disappearance. And we were talking about how Tommy Ballard, her dad, was really heading up the search effort and he kind of became his own private investigator. He was doing all kinds of stuff to head up the search. And we learned in the last episode at the very end, we kind of left off with the fact that Tommy's been through this before because in 1979, his older sister disappeared in very similar circumstances. So I wonder if like having gone through it before, he maybe didn't get the result he wanted or maybe he had some frustrations with the investigation into his sister's disappearance. And so he was like, if I could have gone back and done it, this is what I would have done. He Mm -hmm. was so methodical with his investigation. Yeah, I'm sure he's like, I can't live with another unsolved mystery. Yeah. So, well, and this one ended up being solved later, but it was still obviously very difficult to go through. So Frida Shireen, she went by Sherry Ballard, was his sister. It's interesting that he ended up marrying a woman named Sherry Ballard. And they met, I think his sister had gone missing a couple months before they met. And then they ended up getting married. But um, so this Sherry Ballard was born on August 6, 1959 to Till and Betty Ballard. She was one of their six kids and the older sister to Tommy Ballard. They are also OG Bardstown. The dad is, at the time of the Oxygen series, still alive because they talked to him in it. Mm -hmm. These people are, I mean, you'd call them salt of the earth, probably. They are precious as the day is long. Sweet, sweet, sweet. Sweet people and gone through so much, my God. Sherry ended up marrying a man named Edsel. He went by Eddie Barnes, I would too, Jr., when she was about 19 years old. And according to everyone, their relationship was tumultuous. Mere months after they got married, they were estranged. The biggest strain on their relationship came when Sherry got pregnant in 1978. Eddie was not a fan of the idea of becoming a father. He wasn't ready for the responsibility financially, and he wasn't ready to give up the child-free life. I always find that interesting. Like, I've heard of cases where this happens and women are like terrified to tell their husbands that they're pregnant. And it's just so, it's so sad. Like, I mean, you know, accidents do happen. Like, even if you, you know, there's plenty of married couples who are like, I don't want to have kids. Right. But you can take all the proper precautions and still find yourself in a situation that you didn't plan for. Yeah. And just even if, I don't know. I, My husband and I always wanted kids. We never had that issue. I got pregnant a little faster than we thought I would. You know, once I like came off birth control, I'd had so many friends that it took them years and we were just planned on it being a year. And it was like, 
20 seconds after. (laughs) Yeah, we were like, oh my God. I was excited, but Andrew was like, okay, like, let me sit down a minute. We just weren't expecting it to be that fast, but I wasn't afraid to tell him. I just feel so, I don't know, I just, it breaks my heart when, you know, it's like, that's supposed to be your safe place. You know what I mean? Like, and it's not always. Sure, yeah. Super stressful, super daunting to have to talk about it. Yeah. On January 19th, 1979, Sherry left her parents' house to go to the mechanics, but she never made it there. People immediately began searching and were even more worried because she was due to have her baby that March. Ugh, it sounds eerily reminiscent to, like, Lacey Peterson. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they found her car submerged in the Ohio River in Clarksville, Indiana. A rock was on the gas pedal in what appeared to be a purposeful act to have the car drive into the river without a driver. Her purse was still in the car. I mean, this is also very similar to Crystal with the purse in the car. I mean, it wasn't in the river, but it was left somewhere, obviously on purpose. It was very obvious Crystal didn't drive it. Right. Eddie became an immediate focus of the investigation, rightfully so. On March 22nd, 1979, the Ballard family made a public plea. It was Sherry's due date, and there was still no sign of her. Oh, my gosh. It wasn't until 1982, so Tommy Ballard, Crystal's dad, was 20 years old at this time, that her remains were found. Sherry had been shot, and she and her unborn baby were buried on farmland not far from where her future niece, Crystal's car, was found abandoned. Eddie was arrested for two counts of first-degree murder of Sherry and their unborn baby, but the trial was delayed for more than two years while the courts debated over whether or not Eddie could be charged for the murder of the baby. In 1984, the courts ruled that technically the baby couldn't be considered a victim in this case and Eddie would only be charged with Sherry's murder. The law that would allow for the baby to be considered a murder victim wouldn't come for another 20 years. That is so terrible because that baby would have been healthy, been born full term if something had not happened to Sherry. Absolutely. And their family lives with the loss of Sherry and that baby for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. They planned for that child. You fall in love with that child. You don't have to meet them. Like, yeah, that's a child. Laws that come about are so interesting to me. (laughs) Like like this law. And remember in the mixtape we covered, this is an aside, but still. In the mixtape we covered that when we used to do just like the headlines on the mixtape, mm-hmm. there was like a, a guy that met this girl on Tinder or whatever, and they they had like gone to a party and then they went maybe to where her car was parked or something in that parking garage and they had sex there and she died. Mm. But he took a picture of her and posted it on Snapchat or oh, whatever yeah, yeah, first yeah, yeah, yeah. of her laying there dead. And then he called 911 or whatever and he used the rough sex defense. Oh, we were just having rough sex and it was an accident. I didn't mean to. I saw somewhere that they, I don't know if it's everywhere. I need to look more into it. But at least in a case that they ruled that the rough sex uh, defense is no longer allowed to be used by men. I'm like, good. Finally. Uh, like, how was that ever okay in the in the first place? Like, she asked for it. Yeah, there is no situation in which you are going to, I don't know, strangle somebody accidentally in the act of sex and you didn't mean, I just, and you can just be like, oh, well, you know, rough sex, whatever. Because mm-hmm. I mean, I would guess if that's the case, if you're into that kind of stuff, which there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, if two you consenting find, adults, fine. If you find somebody that's into it just as much as you you are, whatever. 
But I would think that you would have like a safe word or a motion or something. Mm-hmm. And knowing how long it takes to physically strangle somebody. Mm-hmm. Come on. Yeah. So anyway, I was glad to see that, that you can't use that anymore because what the fuck? Yeah. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Later that year, Eddie was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to life without parole. Unlike Sherry, Crystal's remains haven't been found, and that was not something that Tommy was going to let lie. Tommy was dedicated to the search of his daughter, but that was all cut short on Saturday, November 19th, 2016. And I think what they found in the case with Sherry is that because she was separated from her husband— They were about to get a divorce, and what they said, I think, in the documentary was that he didn't want to pay $25 a week child support, so he killed her. $25 a week. Pretty sure that's what they said. You know, because this is like, yeah, 70s. Well, sure. Killed her over $100 a month. I mean, and your own child, my Mm -hmm. God. Thomas Tommy Marvin Ballard was born on January 7th, 1962. He and his five brothers and sisters, Teresa, Barbara, Sherry, Roger, and Mike, grew up in Bardstown. Tommy was 17 years old when he began dating his future wife, Sherry, and when his sister, Sherry, went missing, so all in the same year. Tommy's sister disappeared in January of 79, and he and Sherry started dating in March. (laughs) Sloan says it's like Ron Swanson and his Tammies, Tammy 1 and Tammy 2, basically. (laughs) Uh, Tommy and Sherry had three kids, a son, Casey, and daughters, Crystal, the oldest, and Brooke, and would later have eight grandchildren. He started his own home-building company, TMB Construction LLC, and worked on his farm. You say Dern, like that's, I mean, it's impressive. Eight eight grandchildren is a lot, but Crystal brought five of them. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So then, yeah, because I don't think, from what I can tell, Brooke doesn't have any kids at the time. three. Yeah, at the time that Crystal went missing. So, yeah, that would leave, I guess, Casey with three. When Crystal went missing, Tommy was active in trying to find her and keep her at the forefront of people's minds. If he wasn't physically out searching, he was on the internet searching for information. He documented everything, and it turns out that he had a box full of notes, pictures, DVDs, etc. And Sloan said that so she talked to one of our, I, I guess she's probably an OG listener. Um, I don't want to say her last name though, because, you know, but Sarah, who still lives there. And she said that 
The signs about Crystal are still everywhere in Bardstown, and there's a yard near her that's full of signs and a billboard around the corner from her house. So he was very instrumental in getting all of that placed up, and it's all still there. So it's, I mean, it's a case that has captivated that entire town. But Tommy, I mean, the police did investigate, I guess, but... They never really found anything. But what I found interesting was like in Tommy's box, he had stuff like, so literally when when they found out they couldn't find Crystal, he started going around to businesses and asking them for their surveillance video. Immediately. Tommy did. Tommy did. He had surveillance video from Walmart where she'd been seen that afternoon shopping with her kids. He had the surveillance video in the store directly over the little self-checkout she used. Then he had the surveillance video of her walking out in the parking lot. He went to all like the gas stations, businesses from like the route from her house to where her car was found. He did all that. He was in possession of all that. I don't know if the police ever did it because they won't tell anybody what they have or what they don't have. Mm -hmm. But if he has it in his possession, he either beat them to it Or they never did it. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure that he turned it all over to them, like made copies and all that. But he he did not fuck around with this investigation. He should have been on the police force because... I know. And like we said yesterday, or when we, in the other episodes, like if, if this is the police's route is to just keep everything so close to the chest and like not say anything or like give any information away and you still have no leads and no, like, Maybe you should play things a little differently. Maybe yeah. change the tactic here. Yeah, exactly. Because it's not what you're doing right now isn't working. So yeah, give them something. Mm-hmm. What if there was surveillance video of her somewhere, you know, that we saw? I mean, I'm 1000% convinced Brooks Hout killed her and Nick helped. Yeah, cover it up. There's no doubt in my mind about that. And I understand why they can't charge him right now if they don't have any of her remains like on that farm or, you know, anything. It's certainly very suspicious that he lied about the night at the farm, that he says they had the kid with him, but they didn't and, you know, all those things. But I mean, you can't, it's, I can see that that's incredibly difficult to prove in a court of law and you don't want to walk in there and get a not guilty verdict. Right. But... She's somewhere around there. She is. They've got to be able to find her. But he he did an amazing job. I mean, he went and talked to everybody. He led all the searches. He would map out. So like if he picked like an area of like a forest or a farm or a river or whatever it is that he wanted to go search, he took all this time to like map it out. And then he would, like Sherry said, they would make like, logs of everything. So here's a place we searched and we searched from like coordinate A to coordinate B on this date. So it was like a grid. Mm -hmm. We found these things that cataloged everything. I mean, he was, he was, he was, and he he wanted to find his daughter. I mean, that's, that's the love of a daddy right there. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately he wasn't able to continue that. So in 2016, Tommy started getting a little paranoid. He felt like he was getting too close to something, and he even told Casey on the phone that they were about to go do a big search, but he said he couldn't tell him where over the phone. 
He was worried that people could be listening or something's going on. And if Brooks's brother is on the police force at that time, I can understand that. And I can understand why you probably wouldn't trust the police Mm-mm. in that with him being there because could he tamper with something or, you know, whatever. He became very outspoken about safety and insisted that his family get security cameras installed and everybody carry firearms. In the fall, he told Sherry that he felt like he was being followed. He even installed a dash cam in his personal truck. On Saturday, November 19th, 2016, 54-year-old Tommy went hunting with his 11-year-old grandson, Trenton, in a field on their private property. Tommy was an avid hunter almost every Saturday during hunting season. And with that and his attitude towards safety and caution, he knew the rules and regulations of hunting back to front, and they were wearing their bright orange vests. According to Trenton, they were walking into the clearing when Tommy stopped Trenton because he thought he saw movement. Tommy looked through the scope of his rifle, and that's when there was a shot. Casey and his son were on the property too, but not with Tommy and Trenton. They heard the shot from where they were. So it was like, whichever one of them was hunting the front and then the other was like kind of hunting the back or whatever. And they pulled the truck up. It's very early in the morning, dark outside. They pulled the truck to where they're going to stop. And that that's another thing that's similar to the Jason Ellis case is there's a routine here because Casey said every single year for like 10 or 12 years, they took the first week of rifle season off work to go hunt that property. They owned it. Mm-hmm. So it was known that the Ballards hunted there that week. And he parks his truck and they're coming around the clearing. They're starting to go around this corner. He sees something out of the corner of his eye. He does the like, mom, when you're slamming on your brakes thing, holds Trenton back, Mm -hmm. pulls his rifle up to see what, figure out what he saw. And there's a shot. And he's shot right there. Trenton went to get help. He called 911 and he called his family members. He called Sherry and said, Mama, Papa's been shot. Unfortunately, Tommy died not long after EMS got there. That must be, I wonder if that's a a big Kentucky thing, Mama and Papa. Probably. I mean, a lot of people around here say some of those sort of things. Yeah, I guess so. There was a guy I used to date had Mammy and Papa. I mean, no, Mamie and Papa. Mamie and Papa. Yeah. But it's not Papa. It's Papa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I have heard that, though. Mm-hmm. It's a quite a country thing. Yeah. We just had Nan and Granddaddy. And then, of course, the other side of the family, they're Cajun. So it's Momo and Papa. Yeah. Yeah. Mamie lived way out in the country. And she always drove because... Papa can see real good. But she would drive in the middle of the road at night with her lights. Not with her lights off, but she would just drive in the middle of the road. And the only time she would go to one side or the other is if she saw lights coming. I'm like, it is a miracle they have not gotten to a wreck yet. But they were just like, there's not a lot of people out there at night. I don't know. It's crazy. But Scary. Yeah. The shot had gone into Tommy's torso and exited out of his back. But police won't reveal the direction the bullet came from or type of ammunition or weapon, of course. The police are kind of starting to get on my nerves. Yeah. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Police did confirm that the shot was not self-inflicted. Duh. Oh, shit. And Tommy's rifle was never fired that day, and his grandson's rifle was not even loaded yet. The crime scene was searched for over 30 hours, and canines were brought in. Tommy was buried the next week, and during the procession, many supporters carried signs to show that they were still there to continue Tommy's mission of searching for Crystal. For the police, the first thing to do was make sure this wasn't a hunting accident. They brought in Fish and Wildlife to investigate the area and determine if there was someone hunting illegally on the Ballard's land. Sherry noted that everyone knew that they hunted there every Saturday during hunting season. Otherwise, the death investigation had also been very tight-lipped on information that is released to the public. Police put out public notices searching for anyone who may have driven past that area on that date and at that time that may have heard or seen something. They even reached out to shipping companies to see if their semi's dash cameras caught anything. Tommy's personal dash camera was not running the day of the shooting. But, I mean, at the same time, they weren't in the car anymore either, so... It wouldn't have done any good. Yeah, probably not. And I think where they had the truck parked, the view of where they were would have been obstructed because they were coming around the corner of, like, some trees. It, there would have been trees covering it anyway. Right. There are theories about what happened, but some specific thoughts were that Tommy was assassinated. There were tons of hiding spots, and this is a routine thing that Tommy did, possibly for finding new information and getting too close to an answer. Could it have been Brooks or Nick? During the Oxygen documentary, Casey even pointed out limbs on trees near the road that had been freshly sawed. So if you were to take like Because they marked where Tommy was shot. They have a like kind of memorial there for him. So they know where he fell. And if you stand there and you go a straight shot in front of that, pretty much, it's it's a whole tree line there. And then on the other side of the tree line and the fence, there's the Bluegrass Parkway. Mm. But... Most of it is overgrown, the tree line is, the fence line. There is a spot that is, there's a a little bit of a clearing through the fence, and you can see the cars passing by on the other side. Casey said that that's the only spot like that on the fence, and it hadn't always been like that. He said it it always was, was grown up just like the rest of it. And he noticed that, there was an opening there and the police kind of focused on that. Could somebody have pulled in a car on the side of the road, you know, just pulled up next to that that fence, had that clearing there, waited for him, shot, and then drove off. So when Casey shows those trees, you know, there's all these 
branches and all that stuff. There is, you can straight up see even at that point, which was like a year later or something like that, where somebody had sawed those branches down. I mean, it's like a blunt cut and they were big branches. So it's not like they They broke broke. some twigs. Yeah. Yeah. They were totally sawed off. Wow. Yeah. And he's like, it was not like that before. And we didn't do that. We left it so that you can't see everything, you know? Yeah. It's their private property. Nobody's, nobody has any reason to be there. Yeah. At all. Yeah. And it's a huge, huge gap. November 2016 came with one of Brooks' rental properties burning down, and it was thought that maybe Brooks was trying to destroy it, so a search warrant was issued, but that's all that was released. They found anything? Naturally. Who the fuck knows? In July of 2017, a bunch of the signs for Crystal were pulled up and broken. Surveillance footage showed that a girl named Crystal Maupin, the new girlfriend of Brooks Hauk, another Crystal, was responsible. She pled guilty to illegal taking and was given a 60-day suspended sentence and two-year conditional discharge. What did she, what did this new crystal have anything to do? Like, what, what was the point? What was she doing there? Why? I have heard of this happening before in other cases where... Um, Someone committing illegal taking? Mm-hmm. We don't take. Mm-mm. We do not take from our friends. That's not okay. Mm-mm. And I'm pretty sure that's what the judge said. Crystal, we don't take from our friends. No. We also don't say crap. Hell no, we don't say crap. <laughs> but the excuse that I've seen other people make in a situation like that was like, maybe it was somebody that was suspected in a missing person's case and they had been in a relationship with them or whatever. And they're like, well, there's... um you know, there's all these signs in my neighborhood and all this stuff, and it just brings up bad memories, kind of like. It, it upsets me to see that. I'm reminded of it every day and all that kind of stuff. I think it's a crock of shit, but that's what they say. Josh Powell did it with Susan's missing posters, and now Susan's family purposefully went and put it all along the entrance to the neighborhood he was living in, but sucks to suck, Josh Powell. Like, yeah. Whatever. So, yeah, I've seen people... Do it that. It just sounds guilty conscience-y. Exactly. And, and the only cases I've seen it happen are cases where, I mean, nobody's proved that Josh Powell did anything to Susan, but I think that everybody, including sweet baby Jesus, knows he did. Mm-hmm. So I don't think there's any question about that. And then any of the other cases I've heard it happening, it's like, it's like a Brooks Hauk situation where you're pretty sure he did it. May this crystal may or may not know if he did it. Maybe she just is jealous of seeing Crystal's posters up everywhere because she's like, let's move on from that. I don't want to think about my boyfriend's ex-girlfriend all the time. I don't know. It's just strained. It's I guess shitty. I just would not come from that same kind of Right. Because even if even if you're dating somebody now, okay. Unless you met when you were 11 and never dated anybody else, they're going to have exes probably. And that's a terrible, tragic thing. Like, yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) wouldn't you just want somebody to be found or their family have closure? Like, grow up. Yeah, I don't know the thought behind it or whatever. But, you know, you would think that you wouldn't be like, well, I don't want to see that bitch anymore. Yeah. I don't care if she ever gets found. Fuck her. Mm Mm-hmm. That's 
Yeah, it's horrible. I don't know. Grow up. Crystal Maupin. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. In November 2017, Brooks was accused, but not by the police. Signs showed up all over town that suggested he was responsible for Crystal's disappearance and suspected murder. Sherry presented the idea that maybe Tommy was revealing corruption or something and that Crystal was linked to Jason Ellis. Perhaps she overheard something from Brooks and Nick. Nick worked with Jason Ellis, not closely, but in the department. In 2018, the case of Crystal Rogers was covered on on the case with Paula Zahn and the Oxygen documentary, The Disappearance of Crystal Rogers. Dr. Phil also covered the case and the family appeared on his show. This wasn't because there was more evidence or any breaks in the case, but it did bring attention back to the case. At some point, the police finished their processing of Crystal's car and return it to the family, which I know we already talked about, but I still cannot even fucking believe it. When in the history of never has that ever happened? Very interesting. Well, it happened. Uh, Carol Baskins? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, here's the thing. If you want a case to never be solved, give the car back to the family. Yep. Honestly, in this situation, though, Probably better that they gave it back to the family because the family is doing a better investigation than the police are. The police are doing not jack shit in this case. Like, I don't, well, but that's the thing. We don't know what they're well, doing. Yeah, but it doesn't feel like they're doing much. I think it would just be beneficial to show a little bit of their hand of what they're doing mm-hmm. because nothing's been solved yet. We've got three, four unsolved murders at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're doing everything that you can and you're still not solving anything, maybe just let someone know because at this point, I'm sure from Bardstown's perspective, but from ours, I think we can safely say, what the fuck are you doing then? Yeah. Well, and I guess on the other side of that, I do wonder, because Nick was part of the police force, does he have friends at the police department and are those are the investigators because the investigators like Jon Snow, he seems to not have a whole lot of positive feelings about Nick Houck. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if the investigators are like, we're not even sharing it with other police officers. It's just so, it's so, so corrupt there. Just in case, yeah, because the... The idea of like this giant police conspiracy where like they're all in on it would be incredibly unlikely. However, I mean, we even talked about it in the Bob Durst case that his private investigator that he hired 
had friends, you know, still there. I mean, everybody does that in every job, right? Like you might have worked somewhere and then maybe you still get the employee discount or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. So like you, that private investigator had friends in the police department. So Bob Durst was like, now we're getting information we weren't getting otherwise. Because obviously he's like talking to a friend and they're just like, hey, I'll help you out or whatever. So there may be another person that Nick Houck is very close to that he feels like can give him information or could control some information for him or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not saying this was happening, but it's possible. What the hell is that hair? His hair is so gross. And his his video looks way different from his like police picture, you know? Because we looked at it better than he is. Yeah. And they look so similar Mm -hmm. in photos. Nick and Brooks. Yeah, Nick and Brooks. So the police department returns Crystal's car to the family. They keep it stored away. I mean, I think we talked about this in the exact condition they received it in. Actually, I don't remember. Did we talk about it when we recorded? Or I know I was, we talked before. I don't know. Let's go ahead and retalk about okay, it. Okay, I'm going to say it again just in case because I'm getting all mixed up. We've been talking about this a lot. So they got the car back and then they rented this like little trailer kind of thing or whatever and put it in there. So it is literally a time capsule. Like when you open it up, it had cobwebs in it, but where she had like Coke bottles where she you know got something to drink or whatever, those were still in her cup holder. Um, there was like blankets, there was trash. She's got five kids. so. There's a lot of stuff in her car. Mm-hmm. And it was all still there. And and her trunk had a bunch of stuff in it. It had straw or grass in the back of it, you know? Like, I mean, you take stuff in and out, whatever. But in the oxygen special, when they open all this up, the the private investigator they had working on the case with that journalist girl or whatever, Stephanie, mm-hmm. whatever her name, he's like, none of this should be here. If this car was processed, none of this should be here because it would all be removed from the car. This car should be clear. Spotless. Yeah, because they would keep the evidence. Yeah. And they would have like they would have scoured this entire yeah, car. Yeah, taken the carpet out of it and everything. But all of it was still there just as it was left the last time she was in it. So they were like, this has not been processed. They brought it in and they checked it for evidence, but they did not process it because processing it means they touched everything. So in the oxygen documentary, they asked to look at the car with the forensic specialist, Joey Stidham. They also didn't find any dust from fingerprint testing. And they said that, you know, you would see that because you would have to put the dust down to do that. And so there would be remnants of that. So it doesn't appear that they tested the inside for fingerprints at all. Now, what did they do? Yeah. Had they found fingerprints from Brooks Houck? That wouldn't be uncommon because they were dating. Yeah. So it would be a doesn't help, doesn't hurt, you know? So, okay. But what if there's a fingerprint from somebody that's not Brooks Houck? What if there's a fingerprint from Nick? I doubt he drove her car ever. So, because he didn't seem close to Crystal in any way. Right. They did take one fingerprint. Casey said they took one fingerprint at the on the trunk of the car and they had marked that with tape. And they're like, what the hell is going on here? So when they talked to Stidham, he was like, well, I'm not surprised about that because 
The Kentucky State Police have limited resources, and the crime lab will only test 10 pieces of evidence. He's like, you can collect 200 pieces, and you got to pick your 10 you want to take. Oh, test. my God. Yeah. So that's interesting. I've never heard of that. I mean, I understand if you have limited resources, but maybe the testing takes longer, but you have to just pick and choose. That No wonder if things aren't getting solved. Yeah, and they said, they were like, well, you know, that makes sense why they didn't take all the stuff out because they knew they weren't going to be able to test it anyway. But you'd think they'd hold on to it so that as time goes on, if they later need to test things, I mean, is it 10 things total or 10 things at a time? Like, surely you can go back and test more. Because he said, he said you can get a court order that says you have to test this. But without that, that is they so can crazy. only do the 10. Wow. Yeah, it's insane. On CSI, they can test all kinds of stuff. I don't get it. It comes back same day. I know. What the hell? All this other stuff takes months, years. It's ridiculous. We know mm-hmm. the truth. <laughs> CSI can do it quicker. They sprayed the car with Blue Star, which is like their luminol testing to check for bodily fluids. They found a big chunk of carpet in the trunk that glowed, so they took that out. They also took all the trash that was in the car and they vacuumed it since they could still see dirt and leaves and stuff. The forensic team with Stidham gathered bags and bags of things they considered evidence. And he's like, you know... None of this should have been in the car. And they had those little like the evidence markers and they put, you know, that in the trunk. They First, they took pictures of every square inch of that car as it was mm-hmm. so that they knew where stuff was and how it looked. And then the they, police did? No. Oh, the, the people. These okay. people did. Yes. Yeah. So this guy was like a retired detective or something like that. Yes. And he opened up his own like forensic company. The one, he was from New York or wasn't he? Or New Jersey? Michigan? He's from up north. Not Stidham's. There's another guy they bring in who's from up north, I think. Oh. Stidham is country as a turnip. Okay, okay. But yeah, I know who you're talking about. So, so he now does forensic testing separately. So like private investigators and stuff would call on him, I guess. Unfortunately, none of the testing revealed anything. The glowing trunk did not test positive for blood or anything. Stephanie Bauer and the detective working with her, oh, Dwayne Stanton, I could not remember his name, discovered that an inmate sent a letter to the Ballard family back in February of 2016 saying that he had information about Crystal's disappearance. He wrote that he heard that Crystal was not in Bardstown anymore, but had been taken to an abandoned property in White Mills. The inmate also mentions details from the murders of Jason Ellis and Kathy and Samantha Netherland such as a cell phone jammer was used for the Netherlands. What's a cell phone jammer? I have no idea what a cell phone jammer actually is, but based on what I watched on that documentary, it's something that was placed at the front of the house that would cancel all... Oh my God. Yeah. Like all signal cell phone so they signal. can't use it? Mm-hmm. That's terrifying. Yeah. I did not know that's a thing. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to get a landline then just in case. You're going to have to. But then they'll probably just cut it. Girl, I don't... Fuck, I don't know. Okay. There was no forced entry there, and there were three people involved in planning the murder of Jason Ellis and did so in his basement. In this guy's basement? I guess. And did so in his basement. The Ballards said they tried to visit the inmate in 2016, but right before they were supposed to visit, he was moved to another jail. That's a 
I don't know how often people are moved, inmates are moved, but that seems a strange coincidence. And Dwayne Stanton in one of the episodes of that documentary, I can't remember what part of the case they were talking about, but Stephanie was like, it could be a coincidence, you know? And he's like, "Mm -mm, I do not. There are no coincidences. Mm -hmm. We've talked about that a million times. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just interesting. Stephanie attempted to set up a meeting with the inmate for the documentary, but right before their meeting date, he's moved to another jail again. Why is he? It's so the timing of it all. Yeah. So this is where there's definitely not that that did not fucking happen twice by Mm -mm, accident. mm -mm. Come on. When she's finally able to talk to him on the phone, the inmate is leery of sharing certain details over the phone, but he does give a lot of information that would need to be verified. So he tells Stephanie he heard about some of this from his cousin, who was later killed in 2017. The following are the things he told Stephanie and then what she discovered when she tried to verify the information. So many people are dying there. I don't get it. I know. I was talking to my husband, Andrew, about it this morning. And I was like, there's 13,000 people in Bardstown and damn half of them been murdered. Mm-hmm. Like, it is just a very large amount for a very small area. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know why his brother was killed. If it was a robbery gone wrong or a drug deal. I mean, I don't know anything about his brother, so I don't know. I'm not trying to say he's a criminal, but I don't know what the circumstances were. Or was it in connection to this? Like, I you don't You mean know. his cousin? Or yeah, his cousin. I'm sorry, not his brother. So he said that Crystal's car was planted on the highway, but she was taken to an abandoned garage where she was cut up and burned and the building was burned down as well. Stephanie and Dwayne were led to the place where the building was burned down, and there were remnants of a burned down building. When they looked up the spot on Google Earth and other places, they found that a garage, like a mechanic shop, used to be there. He also said that he heard Jason Ellis was close to solving a string of storage shed burglaries that were tied to drugs and the drug trafficking in Bardstown. His family had never heard anything about the storage sheds, and the police say that they, of course, looked into Jason's past cases in history, but found nothing to lead them to closing the case. According to him, Jason had an informant. Nobody said they knew anything about this. Jason's murder was a hired hit. The family definitely felt like it was a hit, and the police believed that as well. Sheriff Ed Mattingly even said that in the beginning, he would have never believed one of the officers would do that, but after Nick's behavior, he's not sure now. And I mean, it was, it was a planned out Mm -hmm. murder to know his, which exit he's going to take, to know what time he gets off, to, you, he had, they had to have known he'd just signed off. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, how would you know, people get off work 10, 15, sometimes 30 minutes late, an hour, you never know. Well, yeah, and if he happens upon a crime At the very tail end of his... Yeah, if he's on a call, he's got to finish that up. Yeah, so they had to have known he signed off. And they put those branches there. So that definitely was planned. Yeah. The Netherlands murders were a part of a gang initiation. Holly, which is... The surviving member. Yeah. She said that she thought... That might be an idea before this. She said that both her sister and her mom were verbal 
advocates against some gang there. They were tortured and tied to chairs. Holly doesn't really like to think about their last moments and she doesn't know all the details, but the cops did ask her about the location of specific chairs. This is so frustrating because the cops, the only people that they can ask to verify some of this information are the family members. Holly doesn't know that and she doesn't need to know that. But like, why can't the police... Like, hey, here's a tip. Can you at least confirm it or deny it? Because then that way we know. Well, they said when when they were interviewed, like, well, we can't really, we can't tell you what we know or what we don't know. We can neither confirm nor deny that. We can't really talk about that. We can't really say anything about that. And they're like, okay, well, we have this informant or this person that is has some tips for you guys, but he doesn't want to talk to just anybody. Would you be willing to talk to him? And they're like, yeah, we can, we can look into that. I mean, what is the point of you? Yeah, you don't you don't have to come out and say what you have, but can you just say confirm if that's if yeah, yeah. we do yeah that sounds right yeah we you might be onto something there yeah the crime scene is consistent with that statement or it's not that's all we need like ugh, whatever trinkets were stolen as trophies Holly said nothing appeared to be stolen but it's possible the cell jammer was placed at the front door the police just simply had no comment on this. Mm-hmm. The Kentucky State Police and Sheriff's Office both wanted to get a meeting with the inmate, but the inmate said he would only talk to someone he hadn't talked to before because he doesn't trust the ones he's already talked to. He has not talked to Snow, so he said he'd talk to him. In October of 2018, Snow got a bunch of reporters together and allowed them to ask questions about the case as a way to address things that were brought up in the Oxygen documentary. This is funny. Some evidence was still being analyzed at Quantico. He is offended that the oxygen special suggested they didn't correctly process Crystal's car. But I mean, we're not experts, but I can guarantee every person who listens to this knows enough about investigations to know that those Coke bottles should have been taken out of there. It should have been dusted. The carpet where the luminol was sprayed should have been taken. Mm -hmm. And like Stidham said, you vacuum all that up because there might be hairs or fibers and stuff. Like there's all kinds of things that could be present in that car. And it it was completely untouched. They like peeked through the window and they're like, nothing to see here. And then exactly. I mean, that's all they did. In the first 18 months of the investigation, he put in 400 hours of overtime. He said that they received positive and negative feedback after the special, but most of the harshest was from outside the area. Well, yeah, because the internet's coming for you now. Mm -hmm. Judge Executive Dean Watts said the Oxygen program didn't accurately depict the amount of time, resources, and energy they had put into the case. No new evidence was brought by the program during their investigation. The network people never contacted him with the confidential informant's information. That seems not true to me. He says that because they did try to verify some of this stuff. And it said the police have no comment on this. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they did. Maybe they didn't contact him specifically, but they contacted the department. Mm-hmm. Snow said that when Tommy was alive, the two of them talked regularly and that if Tommy had found anything worth chasing, he would have let Snow know. Maybe. 
Maybe he was going to find out what he could find out first and then turn it over to him. Well, I mean, could you blame Tommy for wanting to take that into his own hands? Right? Yeah. I Look mean, what they've done so far. I think Tommy would have, if he found something, if he found something like concrete, right? May, yeah, concrete. Once he got there, he would have done it, but he didn't even tell Casey what the search was going to be mm-hmm. because he didn't want to say anything over the phone. So I think he would have at least told Casey and he was making sure that he didn't get derailed or something. Mm-hmm. So I don't know about that. So I did look up what a cell phone jammer is Mm. and it says a mobile phone signal jammer is a device that blocks reception between cell towers and mobile phones. Developed for use by the military and law enforcement, these devices were originally created to combat threats like cell phone triggered explosives and hostage situations. So you would have to be, you would have to have some sort of a tie to like military or law enforcement to get something like that? You can get one on Amazon. What? It says right here, cell phone signal jammer, amazon.com. Jesus. Why would a regular person need that? No idea. I don't. Unless you put one in place because your kids are acting stupid and you're like, get off your phone, get off your phone, get off your phone. And then they don't get off their phone and you're like, okay, jammed. Guess what? You just got jammed. Yeah, but then you jam your own self. Well, sometimes you have to do it for the greater good. That's true. Yeah. But they get off a of Snapchat. I guess so. We, we should invent a Snapchat jammer. Mm-hmm. I think our president's going to, has is already in the works to invent a TikTok jammer. <laughs> yeah. That's scary. I don't know why a regular person would get that. In July of 2018, Brooks was indicted for petty theft after he allegedly stole shingles from a hardware store <laughs> to which he pleaded not guilty. What? He has since been acquitted of this charge. So I guess if we're going to go off that, he didn't steal them. I don't know. Sometimes you just need shingles. I guess so. The custody battle over Eli continues to drag on as well. And on February 12th, 2019, the judge ruled that Sherry is not allowed to visit with Eli until the custody case is done. That's terrible. Judges determined that the animosity between Brooks Houck and the Ballards makes for an unhealthy environment for Eli to go between. Understandable, but still. Yeah, that sucks. Houck testified that after returning from visits with the Ballards, Eli is sullen and uncooperative. Houck further stated that Eli is extremely accusatory, asking him, what did you do to my mommy? And everyone wants to know. I mean, it's never a good idea. I think it's terrible when kids become pawns and something like that. But at the same time, it's like, well, I mean, is he wrong though? Right. Maybe he just wants to have answers too. Yeah. And I don't see... Sherry being the type of person who's like, okay, Eli, your dad's a piece of shit. But this has been, I mean, we've seen this before, like with, uh, you know, dear Zachary, if Brooks Houck did do something with Eli and now he has, I mean, with Crystal and now he's got custody of Eli, what's to say he doesn't do something with Eli if he uncovers something or... And Eli, if he's anything like your son, when he was two and a half, he remembers everything. And he was there that night that it happened. Or was he? Brooke said he was. Right, but he wasn't. Crystal said he wasn't. Yeah. Okay. Maybe he heard something. Maybe he... But he would have been... He's with his dad after that. So Mm -hmm. is there something he saw? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
As of July 3rd of this year, it's been five years since Crystal disappeared and no trace of her has ever been found. There's a $100,000 reward for information leading to an arrest in Crystal's case and a $20,000 reward for Tommy that was raised by his brothers. And there's an email address, tipsfortommy at outlook.com that you can send information to. You can also call 877-570-TIPS, which is Nelson County's Sheriff's Office tip line. Sherry spoke to the Kentucky Standard about this anniversary, saying that she's been in close contact with the investigators and she's happy about where the case is going. She said that she believes she will get justice for Crystal and in turn get justice for Tommy. She pointed out that they only have one shot to get a conviction. If they bring someone to trial and they are acquitted, that's it. So, I mean, obviously you gotta you gotta do it right, but mm-hmm. gotta come correct. Yeah. Woof. Yeah, woof. It is sad. Mm-hmm. And so that would make Eli, what, seven or eight now? Seven and a half? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that's sad. And I, I'm, I don't know this to be true, but I feel like Brooks probably isn't like keeping his mother's memory alive for him. You know, because mm-hmm. it definitely seems like they're trying to get away from any memory of her. But it's sad. I mean, that's a lot of, that's a lot of heartache for one family. It's a lot for one town, a very small town. It's, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. So we will link to though the uh, unresolved podcast episodes as well. And then, you know, Oxygen did that documentary. And the the Oxygen documentary is very Oxygen documentary-ish. I much personally prefer ID's approach to these kind of things. They're not so... Or like on the case with Paula Zahn, something like that. Yeah. They're yeah. not so like gimmicky, you know? Yeah, Oxygen, they take it too far, in my opinion, with like just how... Um, dramatic. Yes. And this is serious. I'm not saying it's not a serious case, but they just go way over the top. Everything they act like they are going to like bust a case wide open and then it's just kind of the same details. Yeah. And they never end up doing anything. They did the same thing with the Natalie Holloway thing. They did like a six part thing on her and, Mm -hmm. you know, her dad's part of it and dragging him through, you know, giving him hope again and all this stuff. It's just like, I think they're legitimately trying to find information, but to get some of the scenes they get and the shots they get, you have to essentially act it out. So it's like, you know, they'll have somebody on the phone and be like, hey, you know, and then they have this like really big dramatic, like, are they going to answer? Are they not going to answer? Or um, we got them on the phone and they're dropping this like crazy piece of evidence or whatever, but you know, there's sometimes they want like the family member to be in the room when it happens. So, you know, they're reacting that out or whatever it is. It's just, it's over the top. It's cheesy and reminiscent of Shark Week, in my opinion. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That kind of like, we have brand new information on sharks that you've never heard about in your entire life. Stay tuned. And it's like, cool. They hunt uh, seals. Yeah. Knew that already. I mean, like, there's But did you know they hunted this type of seal? I did not. See? So you didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. I just feel like 
you know, they ha- they have a lot of good information, but it it's they drag it out for what was it five episodes, and they play off your emotions. They I don't know. I yeah. just I don't appreciate this kind of documentary. Yeah, it's not my Style. favorite. Yeah, so probably your best bet is to listen to Unresolved because yes. it's super super well done. If you don't want to deal with the oxygen thing, yeah, or if you like the oxygen thing, then that's fine too. Yeah, totally. I mean, I watched it too, but mm-hmm. it just yeah yeah. So there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. Yep. And we will catch you on the next episode. And thank you, Sloan, for all of your wonderful research. Yes, we love girl. Yeah. Okay, and we have got some shout outs. My favorite part of the episode for some of our new patrons. Thank you to Libby M, Lauren, Haley, Olivia T, Christine D, Tiffany W, Kelly H, Jessica D, Beth Ann, Miss DJ, Rebecca F. Corgan N. Allison Q. Aaliyah C. Lindsay H. Rachel S. Martina W. And we decided to go to initials, you guys, so hopefully you know it's you. (laughs) But thank you so much for joining the Patreon. We love you. Love you. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.